1: This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Joey
0: Votto's 297 isolated power was a career high in his age 37 season. He's a future Hall of Famer. Let's talk about some crazy stats from 2021. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today. Frank Sample joined by Scott White here on Tuesday, November 30th, taking a little break from emergency podcast. For how long? Not so sure. I've got 10 crazy stats. Mm. Maybe they're not so crazy, right? Like, we've been doing so many emergency podcasts. I didn't put as, <laughs> as much work into this as I wanted to, but I think they're uh. somewhat interesting stats. So, I don't know. You could judge them, Scott, and you could tell me just just how crazy they
1: are. Okay. By the way, if if everything is an emergency, is anything an emergency?
0: Uh, Yes. So I'm going to have to go ask... That's what I've been asking
1: myself the past couple days.
0: I'm going to have to go ask my bosses that question, Scott, (laughs) and I'll get right back to you. I got some news and notes, some smaller signings and trades that are going on that we'll talk about. And it's the offseason. I realized we haven't just taken a break from baseball, talked about some random fun stuff. So... TV, video games, whatever we've got going on, we'll talk about, we'll end the podcast with a little bit later on. But, Scotty, let's jump right in, man. 10 crazy stats. I mentioned the first one I wanted to talk about. Joey Votto. So, 19 players hit 35-plus home runs in 2021, and Joey Votto did it in the fewest amount of games. 129 games, that led to his career-high 297 isolated power. For those who don't know, isolated power is slugging percentage minus batting average is a stat that you can find over on Fangraphs. And he did that in his age 37 season. We all know how good Joey Votto was this past year, Scott, but when like you really dive in, it's pretty crazy just how good he was in only 129 games.
1: Yeah, it is. He, he's been, he was... Um... He was a stud this year, I I think, regardless of the format, and especially when you factor in that he missed the amount of time that he did. And you consider, too, that he got off to a kind of sluggish start. Remember one of those starts where we looked at the expected stats and the actual stats, and we were like, there may be something here with Joey Votto. It seems like he's underachieved so far. And then, sure enough, once he finally... Once he got completely healthy, he took off. In terms of head-to-head points per game... Joey Votto averaged 3.44 this past year, which was more than Paul Goldschmidt. It was not that much less than Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman 3.51 compared to Joey Votto's 3.44. That's like the difference between Freddie Freeman and Jose Altuve. You know, basically not much difference at all. So, By the way, Jose Altuve had more between him and Freddie Freeman. When I say uh, the difference was not that much at all, that's because Altuve had more. So that might change your perspective there, knowing that.
0: Uh, Yeah. So you mentioned what he did in terms of fantasy points per game. We know that Votto's always been great uh, because of plate discipline. He walks quite a bit. He finishes the ninth best first baseman. In five by five roto this past year, the fifty first overall player in that format, again at thirty seven years old, Scott. You and have, again, and and like
1: only three quarters of a season.
0: Yeah, uh, and you have him ranked as your eighth first baseman. Things, you know some things could still change in the off season, but that's. I mean, I can't see him falling outside of your top ten at this point. No. Nope. Uh, and nope. it it won't surprise you that uh, his early ADP has him as the seventeenth first baseman off the board. So. Yeah. And, and
1: again, that's in FBC, which is a different yep. contest probably than the sort most of us, most of our listeners will be playing. And always, always worth pointing out. Uh, but I have taken part in one mock draft for 2022 so far. And I was surprised how long Joey Vado lasted in that one. That was just traditional 12 team roto. And I think he went in like round 13 or something. I think I took Max Muncy in round seven and was thinking, ah, I should have. If I'd known Votto would be there in round thirteen, I would have taken him then, and and passed up Muncy. Of course, now there are other reasons to pass up Muncy, but I'm I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit.
0: Yes, we will. Uh, overall, Scott, how much are you you're buying Joey Votto? It seems like you you feel pretty safe. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 hard to to buy a 37 year old coming off like one of his best power seasons, but. Uh, I don't. Well, really, I don't really see any reason not to. I guess.
1: Look, safe is relative,
0: right? We're not talking about
1: a guy you're investing a first four round pick in, you know. So, by definition, he's only going to be so safe. And when you look at the first baseman, I have ranked directly behind Joey Votto, who among Jake Cronenworth, CJ Crone, Reese Hoskins, Josh Bell. Uh, who among them is safe, you know? I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like Votto is comparatively unsafe. I think that's... And, that, f- and that's, that's the end of that. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, I, you know, Reese Hoskins, I've mentioned before, I, I think he's probably someone I'm going to have quite a bit of. Um, you know, he's, I feel like he's probably pretty safe. You know what he's going to be at this point. Well, yeah, but except he's coming off an of injury that cost him, what, half the season? Mm-hmm.
1: So... Uh, we haven't seen him back from that yet. There's definite risk there.
0: Uh, yes, Joey Votto, you got... Uh, half the season. It, was, it wasn't quite half
1: the season, but it was like two
0: months. Actually, you didn't wind up with him in this mock draft we did. It was uh, No, I didn't. I, I, yeah. he went, I wish I had,
1: knowing he went in round 13.
0: Right. Jesse Roche got him with a ninth pick of the 13th round. All right, so uh, we'll, we'll see if, as we get closer to the actual draft season, if that discount remains on one Joey Votto. Let's move on to crazy stat number two. This is really not crazy, but it's just surprising to me. Uh, Ten players hit twenty homers with twenty steals this past season. Robbie Grossman was one of them. That's it. That's the stat. It's just like so surprising to me how good Robbie Grossman was. I believe it was twenty three homers, twenty steals. He's really good, Scott, and he was good regardless of format. Another player here uh, because he walked quite a bit. He was leading off for a large portion of the season. For the or at or hitting near the top of the Tigers lineup, I know Akil Badu was leading off for for quite some time for them. Uh, but yeah, 14.6% walk rate for Robbie Grossman allowed him to score 88 runs, and that was in a pretty pitiful Tigers lineup. We expect him to be better. What do you think? What do you think about Robbie Grossman? Uh, Like, I wanted to choose players we haven't really talked about, and yeah, I feel like we haven't talked about him at all yet.
1: No, we haven't, and you know, he's been around a while, obviously. He's mostly been a role player in his career. Always been good at getting on base. But the rest of his profile, you know, that's been that has been tough for us to hammer down, and in part because his playing time has been so inconsistent. But you know, his first real look as a full-time player, he turned out to be a significant fantasy asset, regardless of format. Because, I mean... You know, any anybody who steals twenty bases is going to matter in roto, and if he adds twenty home runs as well, he's going to matter a whole heck of a lot in roto. So, I don't know that I have a lot of confidence in him moving forward. His expected stats weren't so far off from his actual stats, but he doesn't hit the ball very hard at all. Average exit velocity, hard hit rate, both both on the low side, and that's always a bit concerning, especially. Especially if you're at a point where you're counting on 20 home runs from him. I I could definitely see things going south for him, especially since the Tigers, I I don't think they're going to be messing around this season. Uh, So, where do I have him ranked? I have him ranked in roto, Robbie Grossman, as my number 35 outfielder ahead of Hunter Renfro, Lourdes Gurriel, Ryan Mountcastle, Joey Gallo. I uh, even have him ahead of Jared Kelnick. I don't know if I'm going to stick with that, but it's pretty high. I have I have Grossman pretty high, uh, kind of in the same, kind of the same thing I said for Vado, where you get to a point in the outfield rankings where okay, all of these guys have a lot of risk anyway. I don't know that Grossman needs to de- be downgraded over any of the others.
0: Yeah, so he's currently the forty-fifth outfielder off the board in terms of early ADP. Uh, So you are a little bit um, ahead of consensus as of now, but I don't mind it. Um, Yeah. Again, like regardless of format, 23 homers, 20 steals, walks quite a bit, hits a lot of line drives, puts the ball in the air. uh, So it doesn't hit the ball hard, but he, you know, when he hits the ball, he, he does what you want him to do, you know, with the line drives and and fly balls there. So uh, we'll see if uh, Robbie Grossman can stick near the top of the Tigers lineup this upcoming season. Crazy stat number three, and our second of four Cincinnati Reds stats. I I don't know how I wound up with four different Cincinnati Reds on this list of just 10 stats, but here we are. Uh, Eugenio Suarez was tied for 16th in barrel percentage this past season. That was higher than Juan Soto, Matt Olson, Pete Alonzo, and Austin Riley. And I remember talking about this down the stretch, Scott. I know that he had a hot September. It's only one month out of six in the season for most of the season. He looked like he was done, uh, you know, striking out a ton. uh, Batting average was awful. But what do you think? Any hope here? I mean, you're going to get him free. uh, And I uh, imagine he's still going to play every day for the Reds.
1: Yeah, I imagine so, too, because they seem like they're, they're packing it in. I don't think they're real, they're they're going to find a taker for Suarez, so he'll be one of the players they use to fill out their lineup, whatever it ends up looking like. And uh, yeah, it was a big September. I mean, this could have been this could have been your stat itself: the fact that Eugenio Suarez, who hit 198 for the season, hit 370 with eight home runs in September. And you know, September stats aren't you know they they don't come with the caveats they used to rosters don't expand except by two players in September under the new rules. So, um, you know, he, he was facing legit competition for the most part during that time. But, but Eugenio Suarez, you combine his 2020 and 2021 stats, it's a 199 batting average. <laughs> it's a 202-game sample now where he has just been... Home run or nothing. And I think that's what we should expect him to be moving forward at the cost. You know, you, you could look at him and say, how much downside is there really? I know he used to be a 49 homer guy. He had that three year span uh, with the Reds where he hit, you know, the 49 homer season, he hit 271. The year before that, he hit 283. Like he looked like a well rounded offensive player. And and maybe he'll be able to recapture that, but that that shouldn't be the expectation for Suarez. So I don't imagine I'll ever be excited to draft him, but there may come a point late in the draft, depending on my needs, where I say, "Yeah, well, let's let's take a shot and see how it goes."
0: Yeah, we're talking deeper leagues, corner infielder. Maybe you wait on your utility bat, something like that. You just need power in a five by five roto league, something like that. Still wound up hitting thirty one homers. Uh, he hasn't been the same since he had that shoulder surgery, which I believe was either January or February of 2020. So he was, if the season didn't get delayed because of COVID, he was going to miss the start of that season and uh, basically hasn't been the same player ever since. So yeah. that's something that's in the back of my mind. But, you know, a, a really strong September is something that, okay, in deeper leagues, let's let's just not forget about this. He does hit in a really, really good ballpark. Seems like the lineup's going to take a little bit of a hit there with Cincinnati. Um, I don't think they're going to bring that back Nick Castellanos. They still got some pieces there, though. Obviously, you mentioned Joey Votto, uh, Jesse Winker, if he could ever stay healthy as well.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I did want to mention, I mean, we're, we're kind of talking about oh, deep leagues for Suarez. I have him as my number 18 third baseman.
0: The position which, is just so bad, right? So yeah, like, that's right. another feather in the cap for Eugenio a. A. Suarez. Number 18
1: third baseman, number 23 shortstop. So not even that low at shortstop, though, you'd more likely draft him to play third base, obviously.
0: Yeah. And if you're looking for excuses for Suarez, too, I mean, he started the year playing shortstop. The guy is not a shortstop, right? And, you know, there's been players that say, you know, defense can affect offense, so on and so forth. So, if you're, you know, glass half full, if you're making excuses for Suarez, uh, just something to remember there. Number four, crazy stat. I should have mentioned, my, my first five are all hitters. The five that I'll get to later on are all pitchers. Uh, number four on this list. Scott, what do you think so far? How crazy are these stats? Are they, yeah. I, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> all right, thanks, bud. Uh, number four, Ian Happ hit 16 homers with eight steals in the second half. His 886 OPS during that span was better than Marcus Semyon, Yordan Alvarez, and Raphael Devers. Any hope in Ian Hap doing it over the course of a full season next year, Scotty?
1: Some hope. Some hope. Um, I'm trying to refresh my memory. Frank wanted to keep these a secret for me, just to point that out. So <laughs> I, I haven't had a chance to refresh my memory on uh, on some of these players. But I have ranked them, so I've looked at each of them individually already. I've ranked everybody. I just have to remind myself what I saw. So I have Ian Happ as the number 47 outfielder in Roto Leagues heading into next season, right in between Michael Conforto and Adam Duvall. And obviously he was a trendy sleeper heading into last season because of his power potential, mainly. Had 12 home runs in in a 57-game sample that year, and then got off to that to a miserable start in 2021, got dropped in most of the leagues where he was drafted, I presume. Uh, but finished really strong, and I think the he had a 356 BABIP from August first on, hitting 281 88 with 15 home runs and a 944 OPS. So it's not like I saw something in his hot stretch that would immediately cause me to dismiss it. Mhm. Uh, obviously full season stats are more predictive than partial season stats and the full season stats are still pretty yucky at 226 overall. But you know, go back to our mindset on Ian Happ entering 2021, look at how he finished the season and okay, there, there may still be something here.
0: Uh yeah, so what I'm seeing in the second half, the he didn't improve the strikeout rate at all really. It was 29% oh. first half, 29% second half. We know that he typically does walk quite a bit um double digit walk rate this past season the batted ball data from the first half to the second half lowered his ground ball rate 7 percentage points that's a plus fly ball rate up 5 percentage points that's a plus line drive rate up 2 percentage points that's a plus uh his hard hit rate was up about 9 percentage points so yeah he's been a streaky player before and when he gets hot we've seen these stretches where you know he can hit a ton of home runs, run a little bit. Obviously, gets on base. Uh, if he's playing well, he's going to hit near the top of the lineup, which means he's going to probably score some runs as well. So, if he can carry this uh, this batted ball data from the second half over into next season, you know the Cubs are not playing for much as of now. Uh, I think that he's going to have an opportunity to play every day, and that was another another thing too. Like the start of the season, he wasn't playing every single day. Uh, and and once they traded everyone away, they're just like, all right, here you go, Ian Happen and, and my boy yeah. Frankie two hits, uh, Frank Swindell. So they let these guys <laughs> go. And, no, and they played pretty well. No, that's like that was, I think that I think you brought up the key point there is that
1: his hard hit rate was great in 2020. Uh, which again we all liked that 57 game sample. And it kind of got it, it, it it wasn't so great to begin 2021, but then it it came back around in the second half. So how do you assess hard hit rate? Um, well, I mean, in 2020, we saw he could do that. Again, 57-game sample. Maybe he can't sustain it over a full season, but I think there was a chance something else was going on in the first half of 2021. So I'm not I'm not going to write off Ian Happ.
0: Yeah. Uh, he's still just 27 years old, too. It feels like he's been around for a while, but, you know, technically, in the prime age of his career. So... Uh, all right, Ian Happ, big second half. Let's see if he can carry it over. Number five from your Atlanta Braves, Scotty. Rocking the Freddie Freeman jersey.
1: Yeah, um. I was trying to uh, make something happen there. <laughs> what was it's that? Some Those were the magic fingers, you know, okay. casting a spell. <laughs> Here you go from from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Arr! but it didn't work
0: come on come on Braves Freeman get it together let's let's get mm-hmm. that contract going uh number five on this list Jorge Soler second half OPS was 9 that was better than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Jorge Soler's 20 second half home runs were tied for sixth in baseball obviously we saw what he did in the postseason and look he's a different player than Ian Happ but they are similar in that they are very streaky and when they get hot, you know they can just You know, they can get going. They can hit home runs in a hurry there. Uh, So, obviously, big second half, big postseason, uh, hits the home runs there in the World Series as well. We'll see where he winds up. Still an unrestricted free agent, but, uh, Scott, we, you know, I think we told people to drop him, you know, in shallower leagues, you know, the midpoint of the season, and rightfully so, but along the way, we said, like, the underlying numbers don't look that far off, and and they came to fruition in the second half.
1: Right. He was still impacting the ball like the elite power hitters, like a Giancarlo Stanton or an Aaron Judge. And um, so it it seemed weird that he was struggling as much as he was, especially since his strikeout rate it was the best he ever had. Twenty three point six percent. I mean that strikeouts were not a problem for Jorge Solaire. So if, if he if he if he cut down on his strikeouts and he was hitting the ball that hard still, it, it was Strange that he wasn't delivering until, you know, finally he was. Now, I don't think I'm in a position... I, I was actually thinking about this earlier today, um, irrespective of this question, because again, I didn't know it was coming. But I don't think I can fairly assess Jorge Soler anymore because I just... That home run he hit <laughs> in game six... Like I get emotional, like I'm from now for the rest of my life. When I hear the name Jorge Soler, I'm going to get emotional. I'm getting emotional right now. Cause it's just like, it was just such a great moment. And, um, oh, I'm getting emotional. Um, so I don't think I can fairly assess him. Like if they uh, of all of the four outfielders, Alex and acquired in July, um, Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, and, uh, Jack Peterson being the other three like So there's the one I want back the most. I think he's the most talented. One thing that struck me watching him in the playoffs, which was more, you know, closer than I've ever watched him before, naturally. Like the quality of his at-bats really stood out. Like he, sometimes, I, you know, I, I felt this way about Justin Upton too when I got to watch him more consistently. Like some guys just take really high quality at-bats and you don't, it doesn't necessarily show up in the stats. Uh, but I came away thinking that about Jorge Soler. And um, with his kind of power potential, I mean, we've already seen it from him before, right? He hit 48 home runs in 2019. I I think there's the potential for that kind of season from Jorge Soler again. Obviously, the odds are against it. But um, for where he's going to be drafted, I think, uh, I think the reward probably outweighs the risk. I don't know exactly where he's being drafted. Let me see where I rank him because I may have him. So It may turn out that I have him ranked lower than he's actually going. So he's my number 42 outfielder just behind Jared Kelnick and Alex Kirilov.
0: Okay. So his early ADP is the 52nd outfielder off the board. Okay. I'd rather be high on him. Yeah. ADP 195. So don't, don't let the World Series home runs affect you too much here, Scotty. I, I know you're I know. getting emotional. That was so yeah. awesome, though. I mean, like, that home run, has it landed yet? Like <laughs> That was, oh man, that was crazy. Um, But yeah, Jorge Soler, are you willing to say that, are you willing to give him a pass for the first half, basically? Not that, you know. Yeah. Not that we expect he's going to hit, you know, whatever he did, 20 homers in the second half, extrapolate that out. But can he still hit 30 plus? Yeah, I, I, I think that's possible. Well, no, I'm saying I
1: think he could, and yeah. I don't want to. Don't want to have another Corey Seager argument here.
0: <laughs> Yeah, you're <laughs> not saying it's going to happen, but it could I'm, happen.
1: No, yeah, I'm not saying it's the most likely scenario even. I'm just saying not every player, particularly with the introduction of the new ball last year, is capable of 40 home runs. I think Jorge Soler very much is. It's the sort of, like if he did that again, like he already did in 2019, it it wouldn't shock me.
0: All right, so those are my first five crazy stats. Pretty nice discussion on on some players we haven't talked about yet. Uh, We're going to head some news and notes, and uh, we're also going to get to the rest of the top 10 stats. Let's talk about some of these things. The Giants, apparently, according to John Heyman, are finalizing a deal with Alex Cobb, so they lose out on Kevin Gaussman. Uh, Obviously, they have Logan Webb, who was so great down the stretch. They brought back uh, Alex Wood, or they're close to bringing back Alex Wood. They also brought back Anthony DeScofani. Scott, if Alex Cobb does wind up with San Francisco, I yeah I was making fun of Chris you know, last year because you know he kept recommending Cobb as a streamer. He, I mean he was actually pretty good three seven six ERA one two six WHIP career high nine point four five K per nine, and like the Giants have done great work with these reclamation projects. Just look mm-hmm. at Kevin Gosman, what they did with him and his splitter and his velocity. Not saying that's going right. to happen, but. This this could turn out to be a very good thing for Alex Cobb.
1: Yeah, well, Kevin Gosman is the the most successful of the reclamation projects, and, and what kind of pitch, pitcher is he? Splitter. The one who basically lives and dies with the splitter, which Alex Cobb does as well. And he's coming off a season, Cobb is, where he had his best-ever swinging strike rate. His ex-FIP would have ranked, uh, I just wrote about this earlier, I believe it would have ranked ninth in all of baseball if he had the innings to qualify, because he's a great ground ball pitcher as well and was getting more strikeouts than we're used to seeing from him. He uh he betrayed us as a streamer for the start we recommended him for the hardest at Texas in his final turn September 30th. Ah, uh, yes, you are. Ended right. on a down note. You are right. So So uh you know, it may it may have left a bad taste in our mouths because of that, but going to the Giants, I mean it's pretty clear there is ability there for Cobb and and there's no organization that I think is better positioned to pull that ability out of him than the Giants, given their success with Gosman and you know, some of the others, Anthony Desclafani, Alex Wood, uh Drew Smiley for a very brief period. They they've done well with this. And I, I think Cobb's talent is more apparent than some of those other pitchers. So, um, I think I'm going to like him as a sleeper. I think, I think he's going to be one of the the, the sleepers I am banging the drum for in March, and uh, I expect to draft draft a lot of Alex Cobb late.
0: Yeah, and we are talking about a pretty late round sleeper as of now. Three forty three ADP. I imagine if when he signs with the Giants, that's going to. That's going to climb a little bit, maybe a decent bit, Um, and rightfully so. He's got to stay on the field, too. That's been a big obstacle for Alex Cobb. Hasn't thrown more than 150 innings. Hasn't thrown more than 93 innings uh, since 2018. And that year, he threw 152 and a third. Marcel Ozuna has received a retroactive suspension of 20 games for violating MLB's joint domestic violence policy. Scott, I'm not really sure what to expect here. And obviously, you know, even when talking about this, when it was happening, it's it's always a little bit tougher for us to talk about because, like, look, we're just trying to figure out fantasy value, but this is like a bigger, you know, it's yeah. it's bigger than fantasy baseball, basically. Um, but I don't know if you have any lean or any, you know, what do you think is going to happen here when it comes to Marcelo Zuna and the Atlanta Braves?
1: Uh, well, look, MLB has handed out lengthier suspensions for that than that for um for for situations like this and. You know, apparently there was there was a lot of um, questions that came up during the the legal process. Uh, so, you know, uh, obviously MLB conducted their own review and basically gave him twenty games that have already been served. Um, so, I, I don't know exactly what happens from here. But this is the statement the Braves themselves released about Marcelo Zuna. I'll just read it. Any instance of domestic violence is unacceptable and we fully support the decision by the commissioner's office regarding Marcel. We are encouraged to know that Marcel has accepted full responsibility for his actions and is taking the necessary measures to learn and grow from the situation. So I'm very much reading between the lines here, but that sounds to me like there's a good chance he's back, and back for the Braves specifically in 2022. Um, it seems like that door is very much open. So I need to get him in my rankings. It seems like, and uh, you know, obviously there's still months to to find out how this is going to play out. But that's that's how I'm interpreting things right now.
0: Uh, Yeah, so Marcelo Zuna is now 31 years old and he is signed with the Braves through 2024 and it is a team option for 2025. So he is technically still on the Braves roster um, and based on what you just read us, I I think there's a good chance that he's going to be there. Uh, If anyone out there doesn't want to draft Marcelo Zuna for ethical reasons... I have no problem with that, uh, but yeah, that's that's the latest on Marcel Ozuna. Max Muncie, we mentioned his name earlier. He said during an appearance on MLB Network that he's not recovering as quickly as he would like from his dislocated uh, dislocated left elbow as well as a torn UCL. Now, I don't know if we knew before Scott that there was a torn UCL involved. I. No, ob- in fact, I, th- I think we heard just the opposite. Yeah, we knew about the dislocated left elbow, but now mm-hmm. uh, torn UCL for Max Muncy. That's you know that's what people usually get Tommy John surgery for. What pitchers get? Yeah. It for. So, right.
1: And it it, it sounds like uh, I I forget who was reporting it, but he's going the rehab route for now. Which you know the for now, <laughs> yeah. the for now is what I'm fixating on there because if if it turns out that doesn't work for him you know, it's it's not a it's not a twelve to eighteen month recovery for a hitter, but it's at least six months recovering from Tommy John surgery. It's I think I think there's definitely a scenario where Muncie misses the whole season. So that's a guy I need to downgrade significantly. And that's why when I was talking about that mock draft earlier, yeah, I'm definitely not gonna be drafting Muncie in round seven
0: anymore. Yeah. Uh, and there's you know, the Dodgers have lost Quite a few pieces here, you know. Losing Corey Seager and, well, and Max I don't Scherzer, know what they're doing, yeah. Uh, so like they they need Max Muncie around. They need a big bounce back from Cody Bellinger too. Uh, you know that goes without saying. But uh, we shall see what happens here in the offseason with uh, Max Muncie. It's a little little scary though. Uh, Scotty, your Braves also in the news for signing Kirby Yates to a two year eight point two five million dollar contract with a club option for twenty twenty four. He underwent Tommy John surgery in March of this past year before the season started and uh, likely won't be ready to pitch until you know, probably closer to the second half of 2022, I would imagine. Um, I don't think that, you know, he takes over as the closer or anything right away, but if he has a good showing down the stretch, you know, maybe by 2023, he's someone that we're looking at as the Braves' closer.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it could happen earlier. I I think he'll be back at some point in the first half. Okay. And... Will Smith was tough as nails in the postseason. So, like, obviously his role is secure for now. But he's vulnerable to the long ball. And at times last year, it looked like he was on the verge of losing his job. So I, I, I do think there's a scenario in which Kirby Yates overtakes Will Smith next year. Uh, and uh, I don't know that that necessarily means he's worth drafting, in at least not in traditional leagues. But just to remind you, Kirby Yates in 2019, his last healthy season, had 41 saves, a 119 ERA. 119 ERA. .89 whip. 15K per nine. I mean, he was right up there with Josh Hader. It was it was between him and Hader, who was the top reliever in fantasy, heading into 2020. So, you know, if he bounces back from that, if his... I believe it's a splitter for him, too. That's the wipeout pitch that put him over. Yeah. If if, he, if that splitter, if he's still able to to throw it and it puts a lot of strain on the elbow. So I guess that's no sure thing, but the Braves are clearly betting on it with the two year
0: contract. Uh, yep. And if they, you know, want to save some money, Will Smith has a team option for 2023, $13 million. If The Braves don't want to pick that up. Then, you know, maybe they go the uh, Kirby Yates route. There's a lot of assuming going on here, but uh, we'll, we'll see how Kirby Yates bounces back in 2022 a catcher Jacob Stallings was traded from the Pirates to the Miami Marlins for Zach Thompson and two prospects outfielder Connor Scott and pitcher Kyle Nicholas Uh, Stallings regarded as a plus defender you know maybe this is something that helps the Marlins pitchers he was only 43rd percentile in framing according to StatCast so I don't know how true that is but there's not much fantasy value impact here is there Scotty
1: I don't think so. No, Zach Thompson, I guess he's going to get another chance to deliver as a starting pitcher. Didn't look like it was going to happen for the Marlins. Not sure he deserves it. <laughs> but there was there was a moment in 2021, a hot moment there where I was big into Zach Thompson.
0: I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> so we'll yeah. see if he can uh, latch on with the Pirates in their rotation. It sounds like the the Marlins are now shopping uh, who is there? Jorge Alfaro. Um, So we'll see if anyone bites on him before the non-tender deadline. Michael Lorenzen signed a one-year, $7 million contract with the Angels and is apparently in the mix for a rotation spot, which, okay, really? Michael Lorenzen? Uh, oh, I, the
1: the what the thing I want to point out about this is earlier the day he's earlier in the day, the very day he signed, there was a report that said he wanted to sign somewhere where he could be a two way player.
0: Yes, I saw that. <laughs>
1: and then he signs with the Angels, which is like <laughs>
0: that's pretty good. The
1: one team where he probably can't be a two way player.
0: Oh, that yeah, right? that's true. Right. I mean, I guess if he, I don't know, can he be used as a like a pinch hitter and and still be used as like a how often do you need a pinch hitter
1: in the AL? Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. maybe not even in the NL if, if, if the it's a, DH or, becomes universal. I mean, universal.
0: they can... No, they can't do that either, right? I don't know. These are where the rules in baseball kind of get weird to me because I guess he could start in the outfield, right? And then would he be able to come into the game later on as a relief pitcher? I, I guess that would work, right?
1: Outfielder and then move to relief pitcher?
0: Yeah. yeah. Later in yeah, the game? Yeah, he could do eh. that. So, yeah, I mean that that'd be pretty wild, right? a game where say Otani starts and and is the DH, you have Michael Lorenzen in the outfield somehow, and he comes and relieves oh, what? Shohei Otani later on in the game. That would that'd be so wild. Would it, would
1: it be? Would it be? I, 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 I don't think know if this it, would be legal, but yeah. I, I may be wrong. There may be some special rule against this. But like, what if they had? What if they were just alternating Otani and Lorenzen between the outfield? in the mound like every inning
0: (laughs) oh gosh (laughs) that would Would that wouldn't
1: that technically be legal i mean neither of them are being removed they're just swapping positions every inning
0: oh man (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know <laughs> why they'd
1: do that, because Otani's better. But.
0: Right. Anyone who's listening or watching right now, if you have any insight into uh, if that's possible, let us know. Tweet at us, at Roto underscore Frank, at CBS Scott White. The last news item here, the Pirates re-signed Yoshi Sutsugo to a one-year $4 million contract and then designated Colin Moran for assignment, which sounds to me like Yoshi Sutsugo is going to get an opportunity to be the starting first baseman, maybe... Starting DH, if there is one in the National League, he was really good for the Pirates down the stretch 43 games, 268 batting average, eight homers, 883 OPS. I remember talking about him like every week down the stretch, Scotty. So he's a name, yeah. Yoshi Hugo, I guess. Terrell. Yeah, I mean,
1: the Rays and the Dodgers couldn't make it work, but leave it to the Pirates <laughs> to find the hidden
0: gem. <laughs> Uh Uh-oh, man. All right, (laughs) we'll see what happens. Let's take a quick break when we return the rest of my 10 crazy stats here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, so number six in our crazy stats. These are starting pitcher-related. One of them is, I was really reaching. I just wanted a reason to talk about that player, but we'll get to it later on. Uh, (laughs) From June 1st on, the Sticky Substance Crackdown, Dylan Cease led all qualified starting pitchers with 12.6 K per nine. He was sixth in K minus walk percentage during that time. He was seventh in swinging strike rate. And I remember during the season, or even leading up to the season, Scotty, you, you liked Dylan Cease quite a bit. And then when I saw your rankings, I was a little surprised. I, I felt like you had him lower than I expected. So why is that? Where, where are you at on Dylan Cease?
1: Mm, let's see. I have him 39th. 39th. So, yeah, I'm looking at the names around him. Eh, I'm, I think I'm still inclined to rank him 39th. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a world of talent here. And I love I love the bat-missing ability, which came back in full force in 2021 after disappearing in 2020. It's clear he has the arsenal to be a frontline starter but still 3.7 walks per nine and uh, you know the efficiency issues that go along with it right a lot of short starts Uh, let's see what did his whip end up being one two five that's a high whip it is uh 391 era he still gives up a decent number of home runs There's still pretty rough around the edges, I would say. Is Dylan Cease though clearly took a big step forward, and I think has a lot of upside, more than some of the guys I rank ahead of him. I just think, I mean, that that middle class at starting pitcher is so deep that I don't know that there's a reason to pay up for Dylan Cease. Like, I, I guess I'm ranking him at face value, and of course acknowledging there's the potential for more, but. I'm just kind of assuming, all right, what he was in 2021, let's let's say that's Dylan Cease in 2020, and how much do you value that?
0: Because,
1: mm-hmm. you know, I again, I don't see the incentive to reach for him. Now, I, I'm I'm putting that cutoff, the middle class cutoff at 55 in my rankings, and I still am 39th, so he's kind of in the middle of that middle class for me. But yeah, I mean, guys I rank just a little bit ahead of him, from Valdez, who's a workhorse, uh, Chris Bassett, Pablo Lopez. I mean, these are good pitchers.
0: Yeah, he does the things that you like. I, I like the swinging strike rate. Is just it just stands out, right? For the season, fourteen point eight percent swinging strike rate. That is elite. I mean, we're talking about ace like potential there. But you are correct in that the amount of fly balls that he allows, coupled with the walk rate, is it's worrisome. Um, so he's got a little bit of like a Robbie Ray thing going on. You know, uh, you know yeah. not Cy Young, Robbie Ray, obviously. But, you know, if Dylan Cease learned learn how to uh, trust his stuff a little bit more and work on the control in the offseason... Uh, like, then
1: it could become Robbie Ray.
0: Th- then maybe, yeah. Like, yeah. everything is kind of there for him to do that. He's got an amazing slider. He's got a big fastball. He's just got to learn how to command that fastball more. And, you know, I think if he does that, then obviously, you know, the slider could play off that. Of he uses his curveball about, you know, 15% of the time. So everything is there for, like, the... Base like breakout for Dylan C's uh, We just haven't seen it yet. There's not much of a track record. So I like him. Um, yeah, you, you kind of made me a little bit more wary about him, uh, pointing out that fly ball rate coupled with the walks. Number seven, Walker Buehler. We probably talked about him a little bit, but I thought this was good. Uh, led baseball with 27 quality starts, four more than the next closest starting pitcher, Robbie Ray and uh, Sandy Alcantara, who were uh, tied with 23 quality starts each Talked about it all season long, Scotty. The um the volume, the length that Walker Bueller gave us start in and start out was really unprecedented following what he did in 2020. I know it was a shortened season, but I believe he did not turn in any six inning starts. <laughs> so it was just so wild to see uh this type of turnaround. Do you have faith using a second round pick now on Walker Bueller? Yeah. 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 I mean I I've never
1: I don't know that I've ever been more wrong about anything in my career. I I said Walker Buehler is going too high in drafts because you can't count on him to deliver a heavy and consistent workload. And he did it more consistently than any other pitcher. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame for me. It's good for Walker Buehler and, uh, you know now, now the the way Bueller stands out from the other, you know, elite level starting pitchers is that he doesn't have quite the strikeout rate as the rest of them. Uh, just a little more than a strikeout per inning. I'm not saying that's going to cause him to take a step back in the other categories, but but yeah, you have to factor that into your evaluation. That you know he'll he'll put you a little behind in the strikeouts for the amount you're paying for him.
0: I will point out that he did slow down the final month of the season. Definitely possible that you know he was just tired and and all the innings were catching up to him. But a four point eight three ERA from September on comes with a three point seven five xFIP. It was his lowest strikeout rate of any month last season. So just keep that in mind. Like I don't think it really matters ultimately. Yes, I think he's worth a second round pick as well. And I think uh, the biggest lesson with this is just betting on talent when it comes to starting pitchers. Like we really saw that with both him and Julio Arias, right? Like this high end prospect pedigree, pitching talent. That was, was, they were both always expected to be amazing. What'd you Mm. drop over there, Scotty?
1: My wedding ring. I was, (laughs) I was playing around with it. I thought you dropped around in my
0: fingers. I thought you dropped a glass of water or something. I was like, go clean that up. It didn't sound uh, too know. good.
1: I didn't, I didn't play with it too much. I'm going to drop <laughs> it in some like high-stakes situation sometime, and it's going to be a disaster.
0: Uh, yeah. Please don't do that. Um, but no. again, I think my biggest takeaway is uh, trusting the talent like long-term when it comes to um, these high-end pitching prospects. Even if it doesn't come through right away, you know, Lucas Giolito, someone, someone that stands out there as well. Number eight in my crazy stats from this past season, Tyler Malley's 210 strikeouts. Ranked 12th in baseball, and we're more than Lucas Giolito, Sandy Alcantara, and Julio Arias. You know, all names that we regard as, I would, they're going to be drafted in the top three, if not the top four rounds in fantasy drafts this upcoming season. Tyler Malley is not. So where are you at, Scotty, on on Malley? Tyler
1: Malley. I haven't been that middle class at starting pitcher. 41st, two spots behind Dylan Cease. And let me pull up this page here to remind myself why I, why I did that. Um, yeah, it's a lot of the same issues as Cease. Vulnerability to the long ball, more walks than you'd like to see. It, it had It put his whip over 1-2. I don't think there's as much untapped potential here as there is for Cease. I think he's kind of already tapped into his potential fully. And the numbers are are strong, but they're middle class. If he sticks with the Reds, you know, may not may not go as well for him because we expect the supporting cast to be worse. So I guess that's where I am with Tyler Malley. How does that sound to you?
0: I think that all makes quite a bit of sense. The swinging strike rate not nearly as high as someone like Dylan Cease. Uh, in fact, the swinging strike rate is a little bit underwhelming in my opinion compared to his actual strikeout rate and his K per nine. So 11.4% swinging strike rate, 10.5 K per nine. That doesn't really add up to me. So maybe uh, a little bit lucky in the strikeout department this past season, but he was facing the National League Central. So maybe that's why he was able to get away with it. This is not something we've talked about yet, but the National League Central is at least two teams are going to be pretty pretty damn bad, the Pirates and the Cubs. So you put any stock in that, Scott? I mean, he's going to have to face the Brewers, who are pretty good. He's going to have to face the Cardinals, who are all right as well. Um, But he's going to have some pretty good matchups there. So what do you think about maybe targeting some National League Central pitchers?
1: Yeah, the Reds might also be bad. Obviously, that doesn't help in Tyler Malley's case. Possible Tyler Malley gets traded himself, too, by the way. His name has been brought up. So keep that in mind. But um yeah, I mean Brewers pitchers, Cardinals pitchers, for a while there we were doing the same thing with the AL Central, right? Because they had three teams rebuilding, everybody except the Twins and I believe we can officially call them the Guardians now, Cleveland Guardians. The name change is official. Yeah, everybody except the Twins and the Guardians um was rebuilding in that division and and so that helped bolster some of the fringy type pitchers and it. It worked well. It worked really well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's something to consider. Maybe, maybe Steven Matz, maybe Stephen Matz will be halfway decent. I mean, he was halfway decent last year, but in a way we don't really trust.
0: Yeah. But American League
1: will be again because of where he signed.
0: <laughs> the American League Central. That was the story of the 2020 season, right? We got duped by Zach Plisak. We kind of got duped by Kenta Maeda as well, so um, that was a great yeah. division to target for pitching that year, and maybe um, not to the same extent, but a similar extent. I, I think targeting Brewers and Cardinals starting pitchers could make a lot of sense this upcoming season. All right, it's crazy stat number nine, and our fourth and final Cincinnati Red stat. I, I don't know how this happened. From June 1st on, Luis Castillo had a 2.73 ERA, seventh best among qualified starting pitchers, and better then Zach Wheeler and Brandon Woodruff, two pitchers who are likely to be drafted in the second round of fantasy drafts in 2022. His 1.20 whip, however, was tied for 22nd among qualified starting pitchers with uh, Garrett Cole, our good friend, and Nathan Avaldi. So you see that disparity. I think we kind of know what to expect at this point. You could get a decently good ERA when he's on, Scott, but the whip is, is always going to be troublesome. Strikeouts should be really good as well. Uh, I I just thought it was worth pointing out just how good the ERA was for Castillo from June 1st on once the weather started to heat up, which apparently is a thing for him. I didn't know that. I think more
1: people are familiar with that than they are with how ordinary maybe is too strong, but his his other numbers didn't impress by comparison, neither the strikeout rate nor the whip from June 1st on. So that's why I rank him only 26th, you know, for a few years now. We've thought of um, Luis Castillo as a top 15 type starting pitcher in fantasy, and, and I have him ranked quite a bit outside of that now. Well, that's why. Um I think I think you're I think you can count on him having a high-ish whip and maybe the strikeouts are better. Maybe he can do better than 9.2 Ks per 9. He certainly has before, but you can't count on him being that 10 to 11 strikeout per 9 inning guy.
0: Also a name that could be traded. So him, Tyler Malley, names are coming up uh right now as possible trade ca- trade candidates. So getting out of Cincinnati probably something that could help Luis Castillo though. Uh he is a big ground ball pitcher. So right, right. I mean
1: home runs were never his issue. At yeah. least at least not since his sophomore season.
0: Mhm. Uh I think he probably has more upside than I'm looking at your rankings right now. Does he have more upside than Joe Musgrove? I think so, if everything's on. Maybe more than Jose Barrios, but I mean
1: Yes, definitely you know. more than Barrios. I don't know more than Musgrove. That that's probably similar. I, I think I think you could I think you could make the argument Luis Castillo still has top ten upside. And maybe Musgrove does too. But not really seeing him take steps toward achieving that upside. Because the thing about Luis Castillo, I mean, in theory, you're looking at an elite swinging strike rate, elite ground ball rate. Like that's the combination I want. But it's it's not uh, it's not leading to the results, and it's been three years in a row where the results have been good, but not not what we want to see, and. Um, I, if nothing else, I think it's clear at this point, high whip is the expectation for Luis Castillo.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. We have enough of a sample size to over 700 innings pitched, 3.72 ERA, 1.22 whip. You know, maybe the ERA is a little bit better than that, uh, but that's that's probably close to what I would expect uh, from Luis Castillo. Just looking at the rankings again, like once you get past the top. I guess 18 Jack flower. Do you have at 18 Clayton Kershaw 19? We'll see what happens with Kershaw, but 20 on Frankie Montas, Max freed, Jose Barrios, Logan Webb, Freddie Peralta, Musgrove, Castillo. This is like a huge glob, right? Like, I don't know how you differentiate these pitchers, but I mean, just give me whoever's going latest of, of that group. I, it's that's, that's just how I'm assessing it right now, which is, not Very and deep, but
1: and, and it sounds like some people are putting Gosman in this group, which we talked Maybe. about that in the the emergency podcast. That I think, I think Gosman's a tier head of this group, but not everybody agrees.
0: Yeah, all right, let's wrap up. Uh, my last crazy stat, really, really reaching on this one. I just wanted an excuse to talk about Alec Manoa. We haven't really talked about him yet. Of the 25 starting pitchers with a sub 3.25 ERA, 110 innings pitch minimum, because Manoa threw 111 innings. Uh, Manoa had the second lowest Babbitt of those 25 starting pitchers and the second highest XFIP. So I thought that was interesting. His 246 Babbitt, second behind only Freddy Peralta. His XFIP 4.17, which was only uh, lower than Cal Quantrill. So Cal Quantrill ahead of him there. Uh, And obviously, you know, we don't think Cal Quantrill has Manoa's upside. I'm not lumping them together. But what do you think, Scott? Like, what's the evaluation first year for Manoa? I think obviously it was it was mostly good, but some underlying stuff that's like, eh, what do you think? Yeah. So of
1: the we'll call them predictor ERA stats, the ERA predictor stats, which is not really the best name for them. But let's just call them that. XERA was the one that liked Manoa the most, 332. That's compared to the 380 FIP, the 417 XFIP. 332 XERA, which is very close to his 322 ERA. Now, my stance on XERA at this point, and that stat casts ERA predictor, my my take on it right now is that it's the best of the ERA predictors at, at explaining what already happened, but I don't think it's the best at anticipating what's to come. So that's not that doesn't work in uh in Alec Manoa's favor, right? Um and 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 really what stands out the most is .9. He, he was less than a home run per 9 innings, really good home run rate. That's despite having a high fly ball rate. So that's why xFIP doesn't like him, high fly ball rate. Uh, it it it's anticipating home run regression. Maybe it'll come. Only 20 career starts, so you know, we don't know exactly who Alec Manoa is going to become. I, I'm pretty high on him. I have him ranked more than some of those other mid class pitchers we talked about. 32nd is where I have him, because I love the the strikeout ability. I love that he's already pitching deep into games. But the walk rate was a little high, fly ball rate higher than we'd like to see as well. And I could definitely see him taking a step back. I don't think it'll be a huge step back, though. I don't think he's actually going to regress all the way to his four seventeen X fit.
0: Yeah. I, I, Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, maybe a mid-threes ERA, something like a 3-5 or a 3-6, you know, one 5 uh, whip, something like that, over a strikeout per inning. I want to see him develop this changeup a little bit more. I remember watching his first start. Came up, and he was facing the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, and he was throwing this changeup, and I was saying, I mean, <laughs> this is a legitimate weapon. This is something you use to get left-handed batters out. Uh, I thought it was like maybe one of his plus pitches at the time because you know still learning about him, uh, and you know as things went on, it turned out you know the changeup wasn't nearly as good. Um, but yeah, if he can if he can shore that up, you know that would go a long way to him taking that next step because right now he's really just fastball slider uh, and it's worked. So you know if he just you know adds one more, he doesn't even have to throw it that much, ten percent of the time, whatever it is, just uh, something to. to literally change things up a little bit uh, against left-handed pitching. I think that can go a long way to helping Alec Manoa. I'm with you, though. I like him. Uh, Four double-digit strikeout efforts in his first 20 starts. That's, I mean, that's big time. That's pretty damn impressive. So uh, I wanted an excuse to talk about him. There it was. Alec Manoa. All right, Scotty. Ten crazy stats. How'd I do? Were you you really blown away? Come on. Come on.
1: I... I don't think you revealed anything to me that I hadn't seen <sighs> myself. <laughs> but I, I'm not—I'm not really your audience, Frank. That's true. That is true. If—if if, if you had blown—if you had truly blown me away with one of these crazy stats, I would have just been dumbfounded, <laughs> and that would have been—that would have been bad content.
0: Yeah, and technically, it is your job to know all this crazy stuff, right? <laughs> that happens. So, <laughs> make me feel a little bit better about it. All right, uh, let's wrap up. You know, off season. Haven't talked about anything like non baseball related in a while. What you got going on, Scotty? What's what's the latest? Any any shows? Any any good TV? Any movies? Any any video games?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, a, a, a little bit less than I'd like. <laughs> actually, always. You know, I thought I thought once the off season came, I would get a chance to work on my um, NES game podcast. All that's fit for eight bits more. And uh, get get started on season two. Hopefully, do all of season two. That that hasn't happened, so that's going to disappoint a lot of people out there. I'd like for it to takes up a lot of time, and I find I don't have a lot of time right now. Um, just you know, just family stuff going on, kids stuff. Nothing like emergency or anything. Just you know, maintaining the household, um, keeping up with the kids. And occasionally, when I do have time to kick back, I enjoy kicking back. So, um, TV, been catching up on Fear the Walking Dead, which is not very good. And it's never been any good. But I'm such a big fan of The Walking Dead that I feel obligated to watch it. So, I've suffered through that.
0: I remember Um, when we had the Welsh on, we were talking afterwards. And... It felt like you guys were talking about 20 minutes just about The Walking Dead. And I'm just (laughs) I know I know
1: (laughs) it's it's out of style to like The Walking Dead, at least among the. The Twitter crowd, Uh, you know, obviously, it's still highly rated show and everything. So there are there are people out there who like it. But um, I don't know, I I think I think a lot of people got burned out on it. Not me. I still love it. But the spinoff Fear the Walking Dead, not so much. I have started playing a game that Chris Towers described to me as his favorite video game ever Ooh. called The Last of Us, which is several years old. I've heard but, of it. But I I have not kept very current on games, which is why I have an NES game podcast. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I started playing The Last of Us. Um, only, only played like four hours or so, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. We'll see where it goes. Chris said it's his favorite. And uh, I generally trust Chris on matters of entertainment, so we'll see.
0: Nice, nice. All right, well, uh, Walking Dead, I tried to get into it when it was like at the height of its popularity. Season two, they were looking for some little girl for like seven. Oh, Frank. Sh- Frank, Se- you quit right before. Oh right before it got good, Frank. They, they, It was seven episodes that they were doing the same thing, and it, I just felt like the character development wasn't happening Oh, it takes Wait, off after that, Frank. Oh, uh, man, yeah, me. When,
1: when they resolve, like literally, the moment they resolve the missing little girl situation, two thirds of the way through season two, like that starts the amazing stretch of the show that I think lasts three or four seasons. But Ooh. you know, all right, some well, people, some people would quibble
0: about that. Maybe, maybe I have to go back to it. Right? I, I, look, admittedly, I have to give it more of a chance. I've told people, hey, watch Breaking Bad. It's my favorite show. Uh, yeah. You know, I think the problem with people who try to watch Breaking Bad now, they have such high expectations because they've heard everyone talk about how amazing it is. I oh, mean, it's it, 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 it starts kind of slow. I, I believe it is amazing. It's, it is my favorite yeah. show. Um, but it's more about like the journey of Breaking Bad, like where it starts to where it ends. So, anyone who hasn't watched it, who's thinking about watching it, uh, stick with it, because Breaking Bad is amazing. I recently watched Squid Game. Uh, did you watch this uh, Netflix phenomenon? No. No? no? Uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I thought it was a really good yeah. concept. It's it's pretty violent. I don't know if that's something that, that you know you shy away from. I'm talking about The Walking that, Dead. That here, is right? true. As soon as I said <laughs> it, I was like, yeah, you just talked about The Walking Dead. Uh, so it was really cool. I thought, uh, I'm not going to reveal anything about the ending, so no spoiler alerts, but I was a little... Hmm, I found the ending a little bit unfulfilling. Uh, the rest of the show is really really damn good though. Um, yeah, and I'm watching Parks and Recreation for the first time. I'm up to Yes. like the end of season 5 we were yes. talking beforehand. It is Yes. like this is when I was watching The Office, I said to myself there is no way another sitcom can live up to The Office. And this is pretty close. Parks and Rec is Parks and Rec is awesome. Yeah.
1: No, well, I mean people like to compare the shows, and they're both that mockumentary style. There's some crossover with the producers, yeah, obviously. So you could you could understand why they compare the two. I don't know that it's necessary. They're both amazing. Uh, I, The Office has clearly had a bigger cultural f- footprint, and I think the best of The Office is better. I think Parks and Rec at least after the first season maintains a more consistent level of quality the first season's they're, they're they have some trouble finding their footing but once once it hits its stride it it kind of maintains it through the rest of the show's run i think it's consistently funnier than the office too as in like the laughs per episode for me is higher yeah but the office has like this emotional underbelly that just like hits you in the pit of your stomach more. And you like, I I, I remember the storylines of The Office better than I remember the storylines of Parks and Rec, having having watched Parks and Rec years ago. And I need to go back and watch Parks and Rec again. Um I thoroughly enjoy both. I mean, to me, they're they're both would be in my top five sitcoms of all time, maybe top three sitcoms of all time. Ooh. I think maybe on an objective level, the office is a little better, but Parks and Rec, I think more more consistent and just on a pure on a pure laughs per minute minute level, I think it's higher. I think Ron Swanson, one of the all time great (laughs) sitcom characters. I mean, of course, Michael Scott is as well.
0: Right? Yep. I think that's probably the best way that you could describe it. I I don't. I don't think you could do anything better than what you just said, Scotty. I think um, the Office has a higher ceiling. The mm-hmm. Parks and Rec has has a higher floor. So that's basically what you just <laughs> said. Um, yeah, sure. But yeah, like I am, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, I still think I lean the Office a little bit more. My only complaint about Parks and Rec, not enough Christmas episodes, man. Like every every mm. Christmas season, I go back and watch every Christmas episode of the Office, and I love doing that. And I feel like there's, I don't know. Maybe there's only been one or two Parks and Rec Christmas episodes, but that's a really weird complaint to have. About I can't remember because I don't remember (laughs) the storylines as well. (laughs) Uh, They're both really awesome, though. Uh, We're going to wrap there. For Scotty, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot.